everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 155. One ping only, please. Recorded August 10th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element opie.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the linux show that's not about linux but about life in the context of linux i am your host the sultan of the soapbox mark cockrell and with me as always are my stalwart co-hosts chris the gooey kid anderson no chris anderson chris <laughs> <laughs> the command line godfather neves and seth the gooey kid anderson hello gentlemen good morning sir how or, or evening or whatever the time may be for the people in the audience welcome i would like to welcome the element opiite faithful from near and far to another rousing rendition of everyday linux and with us the the silent one thus far uh, is our special guest for the week mr jonathan nato returns the grand poobah of the sonar linux distribution hey jonathan hey everyone thanks for having me on guys i appreciate it he, uh, he said, hey, guys, would you tell everybody we've got a new release? And we said, no, you got to come do it yourself. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that type of stuff here. <laughs> so Yeah, so up front, we need to apologize for the Linux content of the show. Yes. It's going to be a little Sorry much for that. some people. <laughs> it's actually going to be a show about Linux, somewhat. Uh, so we'll, we're okay there. So, but before we get into the Linux stuff... We didn't tell you we were going to take a week off. We just took a week off. Oops, sorry about that. We planned it. We knew it was going to happen. I just didn't mention anything on the last show we did. So I was getting a few, not frantic, but concerned uh, f- uh, feedback from people, comments and emails saying, uh, did you break something in the feed? What's the problem? I-, I consider that a good problem. We've become so regular that people think something must be broken when we don't do a show. No, we just didn't do a show. But we're back and rested, I suppose. And ready to go. My family took a quick mini vacation. We went up to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is just 90 minutes north. Ran up there, stayed in a hotel for two nights, and came back. Because my kids started school on Monday. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. That's early. Yes, it is. That's that's crazy. Most places around here, they have two more weeks of summer break left. Yeah. we uh, The way they do it around here, it's, it's a kind of a weird schedule, but I like it, actually. They do they do only a six-week summer instead of the 10 to 12 that most people get. And then every six weeks, you get a week off. So they'll have a oh. week off the third week in um, uh, September. Then you get a full week off at Christmas uh, Thanksgiving, and then two weeks off at Christmas, and then a week of spring break, and then another uh, spring week off. Every six weeks, you get a week off. So the kids don't get so totally burned out, nor do the teachers. Um, Hmm. but you know, I have a stay at home wife, which is awesome. But if I had to round up daycare for those weeks interspersed throughout the year, I think it would make me nuts. Probably. That would be pretty nuts. Yeah. But I mean, what a great idea. The, that's kind of proactive for your school district. That's entertaining. It's almost year round school. Um, the year round school concept is, is similar to that. You take a, you go year round and take frequent breaks. Uh, but this, I like it. It works well. Um, but it does make for very short summers. Yeah, I guess that's the handoff. Um, and I do, I do want to say, jump in there that, uh, on the, the Monday, August 1st, I took that day off with, for kids first day of school. I sent them to school and then my wife and I took the day off. So that was awesome. And we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy with it. And, um, yes. a spoiler free review. Um, I, this is, this is pretty much what I posted on Facebook. It's a lot of fun. 
not necessarily a great movie, but a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll second that. I actually got to watch that movie the day after release. Nice. That's I rare was actually, for you. It is. Um, usually, I'm a couple weeks behind, so I was able to actually, me and my little brother, um, the weekend that we took off, I went up to Billings, which is a fairly big city for us, and we uh, sat down and watched Guardians of the Galaxy and had a lot of fun. I will definitely say... Be careful when you take your drinks of soda because you might be <laughs> yeah. shooting it out your nose. Yeah, Seth, have you seen it? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah. And I actually made a, you know, normally what I do when I go see the movies is I look and I say, okay, there's the movies. Which one do I want to see that starts next? And I chose poorly this week. I went and saw Lucy. And if you have not seen Lucy you consider yourself blessed and fortunate above all human beings. It was <laughs> oh, as no. the second it was over, I went, what a waste of time. Um, if you, if you think the premise is cool, you know, this person, uh, unlocks more than 10% of their brain. There's a movie that came out a few years ago called Limitless with Bradley Cooper has the star. Uh huh. Much yep. better. And I didn't think that was a very good movie. So if it's well, much better. There were a couple of visual elements, and I'm not, I'm not just saying Scarlett Johansson's hot. That's a given. But there's a couple of visually visual things they did in the movie that that's cool. But overall, it's like you take the normal plot of an action movie, knock off 25%, and then delete all the action. And that's what you're left with. Okay. Mm. So, that's I'm my spoiler-free review of Lucy. Yeah, that is sad. I, I actually saw someone talking about that, and I was like, "That actually sounds like an interesting concept of a movie." But now, now I don't want to see it. <laughs> and, and Luke Besson is a great uh, director. He did Fifth Element, one of my favorites. Um, it seemed to me like it was going to be in the the vein of Fifth Element, right? The perfect woman, the super female lead. He likes super female leads. He does lots of movies with with hyped up uh, women uh, leads, and so I was I was kind of excited about that. And then I started listening to the reviews. And and one of the things that um, that I always pay attention to is when a movie is coming out the the uh, the previews the commercials never if if they never have a reviewer or if the the press never talks about what a good movie it is but they talk about the action and the suspense and the then it's like all right this is suspicious here because they didn't have any good comments that they could put in there uh, second to that is when they will have. Um, dot 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 riveting dot 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 the new york uh, observer okay that's not a review that's a word out of out of a review he could have been talking about the repairman have riveting his seat before he sat down um and this yeah. this movie had those those pre-released earmarks that made me think oh this may be a disappointment i mean technically it was well done it's just like I think what they did was they took the scenes that were cut from the movie and made the movie out of that. And all the best scenes, you know, some guy labeled this bin throw away and this bin keep. They and then somebody up. came in and switched the labels. Uh, uh, so, uh, so going back to Guardians, we sort of glossed over that. Uh, Guardians is, is sort of a lesser known Marvel franchise. And I think that's a. I think it serves them well because the one person I know who really didn't like the movie loved the Guardians in the comic book. So you know, it seems to be one of those movies where the more familiar you are with the source material, the less you'll like the movie. Um, well, there well, the, was it, a Guardians in like the seventies and early eighties 
that bear like almost zero resemblance to this Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, back from my time in comics, this isn't the Guardians I knew, but I'm still looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I actually remember reading this book, this reg, as a speaking comic. Um, this was actually one I did enjoy it back then, um, but it was never one of my always reading ones. So I wasn't as super familiar with the, uh, with the reg as, as probably your friend was. Yeah. Um, but they hit the highlights that I remember from that book. So I had a lot of fun with it and. You know, most of the time people will say stay for the after credits. Don't. One. Don't. No, this was stupid. Don't it's, even yeah. don't even waste your time. It's not worth the extra five minutes in the chair. Um Yeah. Uh although when when I went into the theater, the the person taking my ticket was like, You have to stay the credits. That's totally worth it. So it was built up even more. And this person is apparently a big fan of that franchise that they are pumping and I, I won't spoil it. Because people are so sensitive to spoilers, uh, I, I will say that you know I've heard a lot of people comparing Guardians of the Galaxy to Avengers, um, and it's true it's Avengers without the movies leading up to it, okay, yep. and that's where you're missing. So the the beauty of Avengers is that the only backstories you had to develop were uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow. All the other backstories had been developed in previous movies. Um, Guardians doesn't have that, so there's they have to take time to make you care about every character. So every character has their one uh, Oscar-winning moment, as as they would say in Wayne's world. And yep. everybody gets their moment in the sun, and it, it becomes formulaic. It's like, okay, there's a you know an a, a action scene in Act 1. Now we have to have a heartfelt scene about one of the characters. Now action sequence in Act 2. Now we have to heart, have a heartfelt backstory about another character. So in terms of just you know being a good movie... I give it a C minus in terms of being a whole lot of fun. You know, when I get on a, a roller coaster, when I get off of it, I don't complain that it wasn't a good movie. And this was more like a roller coaster than a movie. Right. I could see how that would work. You, yeah. And I, I would agree with that. It was very, um, structured, I guess is a good way of yeah. putting that. It was a very structured movie and very, you could read the writing on the wall right. all the way through. The narrative um, was weak. The acting was, was fine. Um, and it's a parody and what's great about it. And, uh, this isn't a spoiler cause it's one of the previews. Um, there's that slow motion heroes walking thing. And one of the characters is yawning during that. So it's a send up of all the movie cliches, but the problem yep. is they, they do a send up so well, it actually becomes the cliche that they're parodying. So there's a little bit of that, ah, uh, that almost worked or maybe it worked too well. However, let me back all this up to say it's a whole lot of fun. So it's worth, uh, yeah, it's worth the money. Um, totally. And I, well, I was hoping to be able to see it in 3D. I missed it. Uh, we missed the the timing for that one. When uh, when we went to see it, all we could see it is in what they called their Super D theater, which is a ginormous monster screen. Um, and I was off centered, so I all the effects kind of seemed weird to me. Yeah. Um, but it was it's definitely worth the time. And definitely worth the, uh, uh, I would say not a premium price, but definitely go see it in a big theater because it, it definitely helped. All right. And before we leave the movie corner altogether, um, <laughs> I saw Noah last night, Netflix DVD. I still get the red things in the mail. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the guy who still gets those. <laughs> um, 
Well, someone's got to hold that up there, Mark. Come on. Yeah, not a good movie. Don't see it. Not even worth the Netflix rental. I mean, had I paid money Ooh. for it, I would have been really mad. As it is, I just missed a slot in Netflix where I could have had a good movie. Um, and so, I, so I, I, would that be uh, on tune with uh, Children of Men? Bad. I don't know that movie, so I can't. Uh, no, don't. Children of don't Men watch it. had enough good things that you could say, okay, that was okay. No, Noah. No. You know they need to do a riff tracks version of Noah, maybe, yeah. because it was just all around bad. And mm. the. Uh, I, I know that I'm coming at this from a fundamentalist conservative Christian point of view, but even if I wasn't that, I still would think it was just a bad movie. So it's a bad movie that jumps over into heresy several times. So even if I take my heresy hat off and try not to be bothered by that, the, the plot, the acting, the, the special effects are bad enough that it's still a bad movie. Mm. Yep, and it's a shame because I love Russell Crowe, uh, and he rarely does a bad movie. But this I, this was a bad movie, and he was bad in it. It's not that the movie was so bad he couldn't save it; he was bad in it. It's a shame, really. Yes. Okay, let's go on to something good. Weird Al is good. He's always yes. Good. There is a change dot org petition for to get Weird Al. Um, to be the uh, Super Bowl halftime artist. And as of right now, it is up to 118,823 supporters. So, you know, I mean, granted, even if it gets up to the 150,000, there's no guarantee that they have to do this. But, dude, I think Weird Al would be an awesome halftime show for the Super Weird- Bowl. Weird Al is by far, he puts on one of the best shows. I... Back in the day when I was younger, I've gone to numerous uncountable uh, heavy metal shows, music shows, you know, you name it, and I, I've just been to so many of them. And probably eight or nine years ago, uh, Weird Al was playing at this uh, fair n- n- near the town I lived in, and I was like, awesome, we can see Weird Al, it's going to be cool. We went and saw him, and I was blown away. He was by far one of the top five shows I've ever seen in my life. He was amazing live. Yeah, he's got. He surrounds himself with a great group of musicians who can not only play any song, but can play it as a polka. Yeah, um, well, yeah. The, yes. the first song, the first song they played. I'm not. I think it's one of the songs on one of his albums, but I never heard it before. It was this slamming polka song. He came out with the accordion, <laughs> and they were they were rocking out, and I was like, "What in the world is this?" I couldn't believe it. I was blown away. It, it was totally amazing. And then in between, in between each song, this was cra- This is one of the crazy things that he does in the show. Is there were two giant screens on each side of the stage. Not that I could see them, but in between each song, they were playing clips of UHF. And so after every song, he would run backstage and t- and get dressed in a completely different outfit for the next song. It was crazy. Oh, wow. I'll, uh, um, I can't even remember her name. The chick who does that. We wore the, wore the meat dress. What's her name? Oh, Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga. Lady Gaga. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, he he he. The song would end, and he'd run backstage and hurry up and get dressed. And like I said, you know, when he played fat, he came out in like the fat suit, and it, it was it was so crazy. But like I said, by far top top five best shows I've ever seen. He puts on an amazing show. Cool. By the way, how sad is it that meat dress is what got us to know who I was talking about? Yeah, yeah, um, right. <laughs> that's pretty sad. <laughs> that sounds about right, though, for her. Uh, one quick note of apology. I suck at Patreon. 
Sorry. Those of you who have, who have just been super awesome and gone over to albumandopi.com slash Patreon and subscribed and said, I will pay you money for your shows. I haven't been putting shows up there. I, I, I forget to do it. The, the show episode 153, uh, three weeks ago, I put up but didn't put a link to the show. 154, I didn't put up until today, two weeks after the fact. I suck at Patreon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to try to get better. But it's just, it's one other thing that I have to add to my steps, and I forget it. So thank you for the Patreon love. I'm sorry I suck at it. So, Mark, you need to figure out a way to script it. Well, they I would love to do that, but <laughs> they they don't offer it, and yeah. their um, their website is entirely JavaScript-driven. And Ouch. so everything happens real time on the website. There's no way to, I can't even do it from a mobile platform. So even if, wow. if I forget, I can't whip out my phone or my tablet and do it. Uh, I have to wait till I'm at a, a desktop PC. Uh, so anyway, it's, uh, hmm. it, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I can complain about their platform, but it's my fault. So I did get my first disbursement of a couple of bucks and they took a pretty big chunk out of it. Um, but that's okay. I, I, I just, I wanted to say two things, you know, thank you for being a supporter. If you want to, if you want to be a supporter, please do Uh second, I suck at it and I'm going to try to get better. <laughs> well, at least you're going to try. I'm going to try. That's that, that's the good part. And one other thing before we leave, um, be careful what you eat and what you ride and the combinations thereof. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, this weekend marked our county fair, which in small Bumsville, Montana, a county fair is a big thing. Um, but this one was best, was probably the best I've had in twofold. One, my children are now old enough for me to take them on the rides and try to make them puke, which <laughs> That's I almost, right there. it is, it's awesome, right? Um, I almost got my daughter to puke and I almost got my son to puke. So I thought that was a pretty good mix of, of almosts. Um, but to right. make the night, but to, to make the night better, uh, my children didn't lose their lunch, but I almost had a friend of ours who was with us. Um, uh, she was all saying that she, well, she's never going to puke and never going to puke and just bound to determine that she's never going to do it. We got done with the spinning apples after the, the carny told us to stop spinning and she went from, uh, very well tanned looking person to a white sheet in about a half a second. It was the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I, the eyes rolled back in her head a little bit. And it was that moment of he didn't know if he needed to duck and cover or point and laugh. Uh, yeah. Um, but she ended up holding her lunch down. Um, but yeah, it was great fun. Um, I can't wait till next year because I'll double my efforts. <laughs> Maybe I'll squish him in the scrambler. The one so, time I ever puked on a ride wasn't because of the ride. It was, I was six and it was that swinging, the spinning swing thing. Yep. You know, nothing super fancy about that. I was just sick. Um, but that's the one time I've ever puked on a ride. Lots of people have tried. I, I love the things. I'm an adrenaline junkie. Nothing bothers me. My brother and I once had a competition to ride the, at, at Six Flags in Texas. They call it the spindle top. It's the thing that pins you against the wall as it spins. Yep. And we had a competition to see who could ride it the the most back to back. It was we were there on an off day, so we we were able to do that without getting sick. And he puked, and I won. Um, <laughs> I think we rode it seven times in a row. 
See, we we wow. never had how many we never did the whole test of how many times you could ride that ride in a row because the line's always too long for us. Yeah. Uh, but it was how many sit ups could you do while you were pinned to the wall? Oh wow! That that's what we did as as you know adrenaline junkies for us. Man, when there was a couple of times you know I would watch kids pound thirty push ups out. And then get off the off of it and fall over yeah. because their their muscles just couldn't handle the the strain anymore. But it was pretty fun. Um, but we were just talking about rocks, rock and roll song or shows, and I can honestly say that Buck Cherry. If you've never heard of him, you probably don't care. But Buck Cherry came to Little Town Glendive and rocked everyone's socks off it was a great show uh, my hats off <laughs> to buck cherry and the people that brought him to glendive even with all of the uh there were enough protesters in the paper and, and things of that sort that uh made me laugh wholeheartedly when i was reading their art their whining and complaining in the paper all right, so let's move on now to uh, something else that's not Linux. Uh, listener feedback <laughs> part of the show. Um, as I often say, uh, we, I'm not afraid of taking uh, criticism, and in fact, I give you the the front of the bus. You get to ride first. Jerry hates the show but loves Seth. So uh, <laughs> Jerry nice. writes, after listening to your podcast a number of times, I'm left with the impression that you don't like Linux and you do like Windows. I would think that a show with Linux in the title would be pro-Linux, unless the title specifically communicates otherwise. Also, a show about, quote, life in the context of Linux is technically, quote, about Linux. See the definition of, quote, about. So, be honest and call yourself the, quote, poo-poo Linux and praise Windows show. Also, as you should know, there is a show called Dev Slash Random that publishes shows at random times. It seems you've stolen their name prematurely, as that show is not officially dead. And I've already heard several episodes, and I've heard that they have several episodes in the can that have yet to be published. I think of the personalities on the show, I enjoy Seth the most, and recommend that he bail on EDL. So, uh, Jerry, I was going to to call it the Poo Poo Linux and Praise Windows show, but the URL was taken. So uh, we had to settle for everyday Linux. You know, I, you know. I just got one comment for Jerry. Um, Wait, no personal s- attacks. All right, it, j- just just one, just one. No, okay, um, just make it civil. Sure, of course, of course. I don't want to run away another listener. Come on, now, guys. I'm not that bad, am I? Um, but I never once said I'd like Windows ever, ever. <laughs> if someone can point me out to a point where I actually said I like Windows, um, I'll, I know, I will eat a ghost pepper on the show. Nice. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I will get my editing chops in order just to produce that. Uh, you'll be wearing three different shirts. I like Windows, but that's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It has to be real pro or real, not fake or photoshopped or audio chopped no so you didn't qualify that you, you missed your chance <laughs> so uh seth are you gonna start a mac podcast uh soon without us <laughs> man you know um when i wrote th- I'm, I'm sorry when jerry wrote this um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the truth be told <laughs> no um d- I, dude we have bashed every OS conceivable on this show, including but not limited to Mac OS 10X, all incarnations of Windows and various flavors of Linux. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, first of all, there's just that. And hopefully, although it doesn't sound like he understands the difference between shtick 
and actual bashing. Uh, number two, the dev slash random. That's part of the file structure of the Unix variations of OSs. So, you know, if somebody else has that, but I looked up the dev random podcast and the last one was like almost a year ago. So I don't know if they're still alive or not, but and honestly, besides that, I that's not the name of, of the show. It's the name of one section of the show. Yeah. So, I mean, are you, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just going to say the only thing I'm going to say, Jerry, I, I, you're, I, I, you're welcome to have your opinion, uh, and I, I'm fine with that. You're welcome to not like the show. You're welcome to not listen to the show. You're welcome to listen to the show and complain about it. All of those things are completely within your rights. But if you have to write a piece of comment that tells somebody to look up the definition of about, about you're walking the jerk line. That's all I got to say. <laughs> hey, you told me I had to be civil. Come on that now, Mark. civil. That- I just that told him he was walking line. a line. Exactly. <laughs> um, he didn't say he was all the way across it. He just said he was walking it. Oh, I'll say it then. But He's all the way Mark across being a jerk it, line. It was mean, hateful, and <laughs> yeah. evil. I could have said it and it would have been fine because everybody loves me, apparently. The, it's just not everything has to be for everyone. And I, and I don't understand why Jerry would go out of his way to send me an email and tell me that he doesn't like my show. I don't write everybody who sells Brussels sprouts and tell them that I don't like Brussels sprouts. I just don't eat Brussels sprouts. Uh, so, Jerry, mm. if you're listening, and I guess you're probably not based on the fact that you think this is a terrible show, uh, I honestly would like an answer to that. What makes a troll, a person, decide <laughs> that they need to go out of their way to write on a piece of, of email to somebody to tell them that they don't like something they do? I need help with that. I need help understanding it. And uh, that was that was cheap of me, and I apologize for calling you a troll. Uh, now, well, so, I'll still do it, you troll. <laughs> Maybe Jerry feels like there was a bait and switch, and he says, oh, Everyday Linux, awesome. Then he listens to a few episodes and says, I only heard 10% of Linux. Yeah. Which is why we put that right at the top of the show. It's not yeah, about yeah. Linux. Um, oh, well. Anyway, that's enough airtime for that one. Let's yeah. move on. Uh, and Alec uh, pretty much has his own show in this notes, but uh, I decided to go ahead and put it in there because we didn't have much. He weighs in on our our last show, Nine Advantages of Open Source. He says, hi, I just finished listening to episode 154, and I just want to make a few comments regarding the slides from Nine Advantages of Open Source. This rant combines the whole gist of the presentation, so just bear with me. When talking about reducing cost, as Chris spoke about licensing, licensing is a difficult subject. While OS software doesn't usually require a commercial license, it does happen. Licensing needs to be case by case, uh, needs to be a case a case issue. For those that don't require a license, those projects g- generally live off of support contracts. In my humble opinion, any uh, commercial commercial use should be paying through support contracts. So with Seth's example of a business relying on one person's hobby project is wrong. If that person gives up on the project, a business has nobody to blame but themselves. If they didn't give to the project via donation or support contract, the maintainer owes them nothing. But one benefit of the code being open is that the independence is the independence from one single vendor. Anyone can read the code base and could potentially provide support, not just the company that originally released the code. This creates competition based on the ability of the vendor, depending on a number of available vendors. Uh, support costs could be handled internally and could be comparable to proprietary software. If you're business of producing software, if you're in the business 
of producing software, uh, there are advantages to using open source. An internal application composed of many open source applications is significantly less costly to maintain than one built from closed source components. Open source makes it possible to find developers with the skill set instead of farming off work to a single vendor. You'll also reduce the ramp-up time for new developers uh, as the same components tend to be used. As an example, in the Java world, most applications are built using Spring, Hibernate, and Approach Apache Commons. Um, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Your team can focus on using uh, open source components to create in-house applications without starting from a blank canvas. The alternative is to instead uh, pay a team of developers uh, a bespoke component in-house or buy a commercial component that you can't customize. If the code is 99% of what you need, you're able to add any missing feature, but if you do, you'll need to contribute back. If you don't, you end up, if you don't end up making a fork of someone else's code. Um, in business, sorry, in a business that only consumes open source projects unmodified, licensing costs will likely be the only difference. And as an example, compare the cost of running virtualized web servers running IIS versus uh, a LAMP server. These will there there will still be support costs. The point about security is fairly ridiculous. While people while it's possible to audit the code and contribute patches, almost nobody does. It's a sad fact, but aside from the few notable exceptions, the majority of open source projects are very small teams. Open source doesn't inherently benefit security. The same practices that apply to proprietary code equally apply to open source. As for the slide, you won't be forced to buy upgrades. I shall simply state that this should re you won't be you won't be forced to upgrade as often. Seth stated installing nine point Ubuntu nine point four is possible. Sure it is, but the repositories have been offline for some time. So unless you don't need anything outside what's on the CD, an upgrade is still necessary. Thanks and keep up the work, uh, the great work. Excuse me. Uh, so Alec there kind of went through the whole show, said some things that we had said. Uh, frankly, Alec, I think you made some assumptions in there uh you know that that i think the the article itself uh and i, I can't remember now what they were because i was reading and not making notes but i think one of the the problems with the the source article and and pieces of your comments and i wish i could comment on them specifically is that you're it's there are some assumptions built in and i think that sometimes those assumptions get us in trouble yeah and if you guys want to say something i'll go back and see if i can see what one of the things was, I was talking well about. his thing ab about licensing one of the assumptions of the article is just that you don't pay any licensing costs and i'm running off this from memory here so that way therefore it's cheaper versus paying money for closed software and if you if my what I'm saying in response to him is if you're paying money to the open source community, then that negates the savings of paying money to a closed source product. So, and you know, one of the advantages of open source is the, you know, it's cheap because it doesn't cost anything. Well, if you're going to pay for it, then that's not an advantage. You're simply paying to a different thing. Um, so here's the you know, line that got my my attention there. It says, an internal application composed of many open source applications is significantly less costly to maintain than one built from cold, closed source components. That That's one of the, the same kind of statements that the people who wrote the article would say. That's not necessarily true. Uh, all of your closed source components could be free. There are lots yeah. of free closed source stuff. Uh, so you, just because it's open doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cost less than closed. Um, it may, it probably will, but it may not. 
when I was, you know, in my previous job uh, in in the school system, I ran my ship on both free and open source components. They were not necessarily one and the same. Many of the things yeah. I used, uh, fundamentally, things that I uh, like VMware Server, for example, is not open but free. Didn't cost me anything to use it, but it wasn't open. So I, I th- it's easy when you talk about these things to to get caught up in these mindsets of you know since A is true and B is true, uh, C must be true. But we are assuming that A is true and B isn't always true, and so we're trying to support our 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 points off of things that may not be true. And it's a it's a difficult thing to to avoid. And I don't blame you, Alec, because you're just a a guy commenting to a podcast, but the people who published an article, the quote unquote journalist, he's the one I would excoriate and did excoriate for doing that. And I can't say anything better than that. You guys pretty much nailed it to the wall. All right. Love to excoriate people. <laughs> <laughs> people are running for their thesaurus right now. Um, and Jim comments on web browsers. I'm not sure what brought this up. I couldn't tell what he's re- referencing to. He didn't reference a show. But it was interesting. He's a he's an old Linux guy, an old network guy. Uh, so Jim says, I started interneting with a shell account at VNet in Charlotte, North Carolina. Archie to find files, NCFTP to drag them back to the server, Zmodem to pull them home to Telex. I added a Winsock.dll and packet drivers, etc., so I could use NCSA Mosaic, which was a free download. When Netscape became a hot thing, I alpha tested version uh, 2A5, yawn. It then took me three tries to download IE because 13 megs of code by Zmodem at 14.4 KB was pretty error prone. Start the download, then go to bed. By the way, like everything out of Microsoft, IE was Mosaic with a different throbber up in the right corner. IE uh, through IE6 was based on Mosaic. 7 through 9 are bent Gecko, and 10 is bent WebKit. I started playing with Linux in 1995. I have the 95... Yggdrasil, I'm assuming that's a distribution, disk set, um, had dedicated Linux computers in 97 and dumped Windows entirely in 2007. I'm writing on a Lenovo IdeaPad Z570 running LMDE Mate and Compiz five desktops. I have a Pentagon instead of a Cube. Nice. <laughs> uh, so Jim is an old old dog. I, I never used... Uh, I mean, I use some of those things. I remember Z modem. Uh, I was I was a Lynx guy. Uh, I would log into my university account and use Lynx L L Y N X to jump from place to place, and uh, then Gopher to uh, to to pull things up and down. But yeah, that's that's going all the way back in the days where you dialed into somebody else's system and used their system to get on the internet. Yep, Yggdrasil. Has it, or Yggdrasil, as it is pronounced, is the world tree in Norse mythology, and they were the first company to create a live CD Linux distro. So uh, go Yggdrasil. I thought that was Nopix who was the first to do that. No, Nopix just ripped them off much the same way Apple ripped off the iPod. Yeah. <laughs> much the same way we, we rip off real Linux podcasts. There you go. Right. No, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Because we don't bear any relation to a real Linux podcast. <laughs> And that wraps up our listener feedback section. This week in history, something happened. Yes. Uh, October. I can't remember. I always get August the 9th, 1892. 
So we're going back in time. Uh, Thomas Edison receives a patent for a two-way telegraph. Um, you know, as you'll remember from our last show, I think it was 1837. The first transmission was demonstrated. Um, but here is a two-way telegraph, 1892. Way to go, Thomas Edison. This week yeah. in history. So that's, wow. uh, you know, that's where it all began. The, we talked about this in our history of communication show. The, the, those guys were really breaking ground. How can we send a pulse from here to there? And you know what? All we do today, uh, by cell phones and satellites and fiber optics is send a pulse from here to there. Right. Just really fast. Yeah. Lots of pulses. Um, <laughs> I don't have a good segue. So linuxacademy.com. Uh, is a place where you can go and learn about, uh, how to be a Linux guy. Uh, we don't care about Linux here, so uh, we're, we'll be having an ad for Windows Academy next week. Uh, but at LinuxAcademy.com, uh, their goal is to take you from being a guy who knows something about something to a guy who is a Linux administrator, uh, certified, certifiable, and ready to roll. And they do this by way of step-by-step video courses. Um and, you know, I've, I've done the spiel before. I don't feel the need to go through all of it again. There's lots of cool stuff there. You got your videos. You got your study guides to go with the videos. You got your uh, practice quizzes and, and, and practice exams. They're all laid out in an organized fashion. And I've, as I've said before, these guys are always adding to stuff. They're always growing and, and doing new things. And, and, and they're, they're um, adding new content that is, you know, not just Linux stuff anymore. I mean, it's, it's sort of Linux adjacent. Uh, most recently, they added uh, a uh, OpenStack Essentials course that's that's online, complete, and ready to go. So you know, OpenStack is sort of the big thing these days. It's yes, it's Linux. Uh, you need to know your Linux to do it, but OpenStack is the the way to spin up virtual environments. And if you need to know how to do that, they now have uh, a course on that. Um, and these courses are all. Uh, T- uh, certified uh, good quality content. In fact, the uh, the LPIC and the EITIA folks, um, no CompTIA folks, uh, have certified their their content, and and you can even take their quizzes from their website. There's a there's a partnership there that you don't get for just any fly by night guy doing YouTube videos. Uh, and I say all that to say that this is legitimate stuff, and and you get. You can get this legitimate stuff. You can try it out for only fourteen dollars. Excuse me, fourteen days for a dollar. So for the first two weeks, give them a buck. That that opens the door for you. Uh, you look around. You can look at the videos. You can look at the notes. You can test out the form. You can see if it's your thing. See if you like it. And at the end of the two weeks, if you like it, and I know you will, um, you'll convert to the twenty-five dollar monthly uh, pass. Twenty-five dollars a month for all this great stuff is is a bargain. It's cheap. But you can even get it cheaper than that if you've if you've done it for the fourteen days and then you know you you try all the twenty five dollar month just to make sure once you're ready to commit sink in a, a year's worth of of content and you can get it for nineteen dollars a month when you go use the code everyday Linux to let them know that we sent you yeah you know I just want to say and one this is really awesome and you need to do it if you want to get in the information technology field. You know, there are lots of boot camps out there that you pay a lot more money for and they they try to take all this information and cram it down your throat in a week. And in order 
for those boot camps to be effective, you already need to know the material. The boot camp is designed to fill in the minor gaps you have and package it all up so that you can go pass a test. If you know how to watch a YouTube video, do you know how to turn on a computer and access a YouTube video? If you know that much, you have all the qualifications required to start these courses and you can take them at your own pace. It's not like you're watching a two hour lecture from Mr. Monotone. You know, they're broken down into simple, easy to digest small portions. If you don't understand something, watch it again, go through it, stop. And I don't remember if you said this this week or not, but the study guides they have are time coded to the lessons. So there's study guides you can read as you're listening. And at the end of the course, you know, if you already know computers, maybe you can bust it out in a month. If you already, you know, are good with Linux, you're good with the command line. But if you're somebody, hey, I can turn on the computer. I can go to a web page. I know how to, you know, ping to make sure my, my uh, computer's online and stuff like that. It might take you a few months to get up to the level where you can pass the LPIC or the Linux Plus. And once you get those qualifications under your belt, you're not like a command line ninja, but you were somebody who is well qualified to get a systems admin position working on Linux. And then you can continue your relationship with a Linux Academy, growing and refining your skill set. And then you can become a command line ninja. But not the command line godfather. That position's That's already right. taken. Yeah. It's filled. It's mine. But you could learn a lot from them. Um, I like the fact that they do go through things and like Seth was saying and show you both the GUI and the command line way of doing things. Because you never know when you need to use, you know, your excess and crashes or your SSH DIN. Um, these guys know their stuff. Definitely go give them a listen. All right. Thank you, uh, Anthony and folks at Linux Academy for supporting Everyday Linux. Now, uh, on to Sonar GNU slash Linux 2014. Um, I said to the guys, I wanted to treat this like a distro review. Uh, because what's, what's interesting, um, you know, we, Sonar is, and, and I'll let uh, Jonathan uh, expand on this. Sonar is designed for uh, those who need uh, special access, the the limited sight, the blind, the uh, um, what else, Jonathan? Who, who else Quad- do you cater to? Quadriplegics, dyslexia, there you go. Uh, every type of disability. There you go. So it, it's that's what it's designed for. I wanted to see if our command line godfather and our gooey kid could put it through his paces and see how it is for a regular guy too could you get a distro that the the blind husband and the sighted wife can be happy about let's find ah. out um and so that was that was the idea here and we have the the benefit of having uh, not only the blind husband but also the developer <laughs> uh, of the of the 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 distro here with us so everything every insulting thing we have to say it he'll get to respond to directly Awesome. Ooh. So, Jonathan, just give us the the you know the ninety second pitch. What is Sonar and and what is your mission with it? Sure, Sonar is uh, focused on assistive technology or adaptive technology, accessible computing. However, however you would like to word it, I tr- I'm trying to cater to every possible disability that I can and give access to people that otherwise can't access a computer. There's a billion people in the world with some type of disability, and I want them to. Every, all of them to be able to use sonar. You didn't even ni- need 90 seconds, did you? So <laughs> no. what is sonar built on? Uh, it was Ubuntu-based, but I've now switched over to Manjaro, 
which is actually a Arch Linux derivative. So, oh. So basically, Sonar is now a sort of a Arch Linux derivative, which is fantastic. And so th- I assume that means there's no such thing as an update anymore. Yeah, basically, once you install Sonar, you can just uh, keep moving on up, and there essentially is no no reason to have to put in a disk again once you put it in the first time. Cool. So that's awesome. Because that's the what was the what was the driving force to do that? Well, like I said before, we are Ubuntu based, and the last uh, version of Sonar that we released based off of Ubuntu was thirteen ten. And, you know, a few years ago, before Unity came into the scene, Ubuntu was always known for being uh, the distro shipping the latest version of GNOME, which is great. And But since they switched over to Unity, uh, they're releasing newer packages that kept slipping. So when 13.10 came out for Ubuntu, they were already a whole full GNOME release behind. I believe at that time, GNOME 3.10 was out, but Ubuntu was only shipping with 3.8. And, but... They were shipping with Ubuntu, uh, GNOME 3.8, but with Orca 3.10, or Nautilus 3.6, and all the package numbering was, like, all over the place, and I was just like, this isn't good, you know, because some of the older packages had accessibility bugs in it that weren't ironed out, and so if they had the newer packages, those accessibility bugs wouldn't exist anymore, and so with all the packages all over the place, I was like, I need to find something else to use, and so I was... Considering Debian, and but I, you know, that was going to be a lot of work to do it the way I wanted to do it, and I had been hearing more and more about these Arch Linux derivatives, and I, I looked at Manjaro, and I saw on their uh, page that they had a commu- uh, community versions of Manjaro, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I, I uh, managed to find an email address of the project leader, and I emailed them, and I just said, hey, you know, this is who I am, I, I developed this distribution. Uh, and I explained to him, you know, what I wanted to do. And I said, I see that you have community versions of Manjaro. Would it be possible for me to make a community version? And, uh, within a few hours, Phil, the project leader, emailed me back and said, absolutely. Let me know what we need to do to start working. And so Phil has been fantastic to work with. He's done a lot of work, uh, you know, uh, helping me with it, with his build system for Manjaro. He's done a lot of work making sure I get particular packages that I need in Manjaro. He made sure that the uh, the installer for Manjaro was completely accessible because at the time there was a lot of things that weren't accessible. And within a few weeks, he went ahead and fixed all of that. And Phil has just been an outstanding example of uh, you know how how you should work with other people when it comes to working in you know free and open source software. All right. Cool. So how long has this new Manjaro version been been out? Uh, probably like a few weeks now. And what has the response from your community been to it? Uh, everyone is ecstatic about it because the great thing about Manjaro slash Arch Linux is now we always have all of the latest and greatest packages within the operating system. Um, so basically running Manjaro, we're seven days behind whatever Arch Linux is running. So we pretty much have the bleeding edge of everything, you know, under Manjaro. So it's everyone is loving the newer version. Well, bleeding edge can also be messy. Uh, what what are you doing to mitigate the the dangers of running so bleeding edge? Sure, and th- this is what's great about what Phil has done with Manjaro. So the package manager in Arch Linux is called Pacman, and what Phil has done is he has put his own patch in the Pacman, and there's now three branches in Manjaro. So there's the unstable branch, 
the testing branch, and the stable branch. And what happens is Phil wrote this, uh, wrote a script that basically clones the Arch repos every day, and then he pulls them over into his Manjaro repos. So if you're running the unstable branch, you're basically running one day behind whatever Arch Linux has. So after the unstable, after everything goes in the unstable, it waits three or four days, everything gets tested. If it gets a clean bill of health, the package then moves up the testing. And then they make sure there's no bugs in there from testing. And once they, after three or four days again, if it gets a clean bill of health, the package then moves to stable. So there's a, like a seven, eight, nine, ten day, uh, cushion between the unstable branch and stable. So by the time everything trickles down the stable, you're pretty much guaranteed there's going to be no breakage in your system, which is important for people that have disabilities because they might not have the access they need in order to fix a broken system. So having that 7 to 10 day cushion is exactly what we needed to assure stability. Yeah, it's an awesome way of doing that. So yeah, because yeah, because Arch, I don't want to say Arch, you know, throws throws their packages over the wall, but they they let you know like in their wiki or their homepage, "Oh, hey, by the way, if you have uh, XYZ installed, you better make sure you change the .conf file and you're going to have to move, you know, this folder over to this, you know, this folder over here." And so, you know, they they let you know your system's going to break unless you do something. But not everyone, you know, running Sonar is going to want to do things like that. So that's why using Manjaro is is fantastic. Cool. Now, I just w- let's back up a little bit to give a little context. You you were here before. We talked about Sonar before. Uh, you are a a formerly sighted person. You lost your <laughs> you lost your sight in an in an auto accident, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, at yeah. the age of fourteen. Uh, and so you you are living with with the fact that the world is not an accessible place. And Absolutely. Instead of just whining about it, you decided to do something about it. And yes. you began as an advocate and then became a distro maintainer. Yeah, exactly. I do have uh, a new, a couple of new people on the Sonar team now, which is awesome. So I technically am not the lead developer anymore. Uh, Kyle uh, Broward is, and he's taken on a lot of the day-to-day stuff for me. And now I've uh, moved on to being able to reach out to organizations and really try and bring awareness to Sonar and try to get, uh, you know, schools for the blind, um, there's an agency in Boston I've been working with to, to use sonar at, to, to use sonar there for their blind and low vision users. Um, so that's, that's freed up my time to really start pushing sonar forward to, like I said, agencies and other, um, you know, places like that. So what's the difference about sonar as opposed to just grabbing Arch and sticking Orca on it? Sure. Well, Arch, uh, is a whole can of worms on its own getting that installed. So, you know, it could, it could take you a half an hour. If you're well versed in Arch, you could probably get up and running in a half an hour. But if you're not, it could literally take you two hours just to get a system kind of up and running and, you know, halfway usable. Um, Manjaro has done to Arch what Ubuntu's done to Debian, like Debian back in the day. So mm-hmm. Manjaro has take, is very easy to install, has a live, a live session that it boots into, and then you click on install, and it goes through a whole GUI installation, just like you would see on Ubuntu. And after 20 minutes or so, reboot, and boom, you're you're in your system. With Arch, it's a much more, um, I don't want to say sophisticated install, but you have to manually type a whole bunch of commands into the command line. You have no no desktop environment, no nothing. You have to almost install the entire thing from scratch. 
which is that's you know, like Chris's what the heaven. third level of hell <laughs> <laughs> or Shangri La if you're the command line Godfather. Yeah, it depends on where you want to go with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's extremely flexible Arch Linux, and if you if you know what you're doing, it's a great great way to install your system. But if you're a new user, you probably don't want any part of Arch Linux. I'm not a new user, and I don't want any part of Arch Linux. Uh, so, Chris, Arch Seth, did you guys bad. have a chance to to play with uh, Sonar this week? Uh, yeah, I, I have. Okay. Oh, oh Seth, on my list. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, tell us about the 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 user perspective from a sighted user. Sure. Um, one of the first things that, and I'm sure this it's meant to be this way, is the disjointed computer voice that i had to listen to yes. for the install <laughs> which um, is the whole point of you know having something for a sight sightless person right <laughs> right and i and i understood what it was for and i understand that that's part of the whole thing but when i i wasn't expecting it cuz I, <laughs> I i booted up the i booted up the the my test box and walked away from it you said dirty words didn't you no, I was, no. it scared me because I had just before I had my computer on and I was listening, I had music pumping out of it. And then all of a sudden this disjointed computer voice starts talking and it just scared me. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's actually a very nice looking live install. Um, for some reason I ended up with a broken package somewhere. Where it wouldn't let me in, um, use the GUI install, I had to, to fall back to the command line version of the installer. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and yeah I, I'm I, sure it was a broken package. Yeah, Chris, it whatever. just knew it was you. That's <laughs> that, that's, that's got to be it. Yeah, um, but even the command line version of the installer is a very smooth install. Um, the uh, did you write the installer for that, or is that the Manjaro? Manjaro, Manjaro guys did that. Okay. Um, even for being a command line, it, it was end curses based, I believe. Yeah. Um, it was very, very simple to walk through to do the install. Uh, anyone who's done the install in any of the newer, uh, um, versions of, uh, any Linux at this point, uh, the new installers that everybody's running is the same one that they've grown to love with, uh, you know, Ubuntu or Fedora or OpenSUSE. Uh, they're all about the same now. And this one is very similar. Uh, I was very impressed with how clean the install was. It was just a very nice system to to install with. When I did boot it up, and I know that that I'm going to get a little flack for this, but really, GNOME three, come on! I hate GNOME three. You made yeah. me use GNOME three. <laughs> Look, I I was I was probably the biggest GNOME hater of them all in the beginning. Like you know, all the way up to GNOME. GNOME 3.8. I, I started to turn the corner a little bit with GNOME 3.8. GNOME 3.10 came out, and I, I was on, on back on the bandwagon. And GNOME 3.12, they've made it so much faster and much more responsive. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I still have some problems with GNOME 3, but I'm, I'm more of a fan now when I finally said, fine, let me grasp what they're trying to do with this desktop. And there are a lot of cut, some pretty cool things you can do when you try to put aside the way you used to do things and see where they're trying to guide you when, you know, obviously it's all about choice and freedom. And if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. But unfortunately right now, GNOME is probably the most accessible desktop right now for screen readers. That is the other, yeah. uh, the, the other assistive technology that we offer on Sonar is desktop agnostic. So it doesn't depend. It'll work just as well on any other desktop, but really the Orca screen reader works 
really the best with the GNOME desktop. So that's why uh, we ship with it by default. But uh, we are also working on a Mate version, which should be out maybe in three weeks or a month. And the Mate team has been extremely helpful also with making sure they fix any accessibility bugs. And they've been working actually very closely with us, which is also awesome. Wait, so wait, hopefully, hold on. Mate is Mate? That's the pronunciation of it? I, I always say Mate too, but just to, to be nice, I call it Mate because that's what I've heard it's because actually pronounced. Isn't, isn't that Japanese for I give up? No, um, I think it's like it's a, a South American thing. Uh, because I, I saw Bloodsport 15 times. And when the guy's on the mat and they're about to break his arm, Mate is what he says. Yeah, no, I so, hear you. So the cinnamon, the, the gnome guy said, I give up. Mate it is. That's funny. But, so there will be a uh, Mate or Mate version out in, uh, like I said, hopefully three weeks to uh, a month. But yeah, no, Chris, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I, for the longest time, I was a gnome hater. and But like I said, once I started using it the way they sort of designed it and intended someone to use it, I can kind of see where they're coming from now. And if you start using it that way, it, it your, your workflow does kind of pick back up. So, but I, well, I totally right. understand what you're saying though. Yeah. And, and that's fine. And I under, and I, I'm on record as a gnome hater. Um, I did like gnome for a little bit, but I grew up and learned that KDE was a little bit better for me. Um, but I will say, I would, and I will agree that the, the, this current version of GNOME that you have on the, inst- that after an update, um, man, that thing is smooth as butter. It moves so fast. Even, um, I virtual boxed it as well, and I really restricted how much resources it had, and it still performed beautifully and surprisingly, to tell you the truth. Um, I was expecting it to fall on its face a couple of times, and it just, purrs uh, yeah so i'm i definitely give my hats off to you guys and the orca reader running in the background once you're used to the that i, I hope there's is there some plans to getting a yeah, better we're, voice we're, yeah the, we're, yeah we're definitely working on trying to get a much better sounding voice i mean it sounds like it's you know like a robot from the 1980s or whatever like typical <laughs> co- typical computer voice you would hear like in the commercial from the 80s you know the old speaking yeah. spell Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Speaking spell or uh, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> you know. Um. But I. Yeah. For once, I got used to the voice. Uh. Even as a sighted user, this is a nice desktop. Um. A nice install. A nice and a nice working machine. Uh, I really tip my hat to you and your developers. You guys really make this thing polished and smooth. Um, so, uh, Jonathan, do you? Does your whole family use the same system? Uh, my son does, but my, I just put my wife on. She's running fourteen oh four well Unity. So, okay. um, why would she, you do that to her? I don't. I don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's spousal abuse. I have to report you now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she uh, I told her I was gonna switch her over, but she she I, I'm always like doing stuff to her computer, and she just wants me to leave it alone. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why Unity's just still on, so I'm like, fine, I'll just leave it alone and not bother you. So if I have to do anything on her computer now, I just SSH into it. There you go. <laughs> All right, so, so we've talked about the screen reader. Obviously, for a blind person, that's that's your bread and butter. Yeah. But you mentioned a lot of other disabilities there. Tell me about the other uh, hacks that you've done. Sure. So we also have uh, screen magnification for low vision users. Um, I need to f- update this on the sonar. I have the page on there, but I don't link to it yet. There's a whole bunch of keyboard shortcuts that we have set up. So um, a, a low-vision user can press, uh, I believe it's win- the Windows key, also known as the Super key, plus Control and the letter M, and that'll turn on the magnification. 
and then when they press those two keys and the plus or minus button, that'll zoom in and out the screen for the, the low vision user. So they, they can even turn on the magnification during the install. So they can even magnify the install to get that going too. Um, we also have a font. Uh, this font is included, but it's obviously not turned on because not everyone would need it, but it's a font for people with dyslexia. So they can go into the fonts and just switch over the font to the, the font for people with dyslexia, and it switches the whole, you know, the entire system's fonts over to this font to help people, uh, you know, be able to read icons and menus and stuff like that better. Um, I, I just started to ask you what that looks like and realized what a dumb question that yeah, would be. You know, I <laughs> actually can answer that because I actually, when I stumbled onto this, I was like, how does that even work, switching a font? So I actually did a few days of homework on it. So essentially what it does is when people have dyslexia, and obviously there's varying levels of it, but generally speaking, when people have dyslexia, their brain turns the letters like all, all which way. So it's it, nothing makes sense. So what this font does is it makes the bottom of the letter, they, co- they call it heavier. So it's a little more like bold and like thicker on the bottom. So it tells the person with dyslexia, it tells their brain, don't move this letter. This is how it's supposed to be. And it works. Mm. I'm looking at it now. I Googled it. OpenDyslexic.org. Yes, which, that's it. Yeah. Um, and it's also uh, looks like it has some, you can make it block it, make block letters out of it. Uh, maybe I'm just, I'm just quickly Googling the site. But, yeah. They have like bold italics and all yeah. kinds of stuff that you can include. Uh, so just by altering the style of the font that, that helps people with dyslexia. Uh, apparently, yeah, and I, I, a lot of people say it does work. So, Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it Very is. Cool. It is really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so that font is included. It's already installed on Sonar. You know, you just need to to switch to it. Um, we also and it's not an offensive font at all. By the way, I just want to say as as a person who is normally sighted and whose brain works relatively normally, um, <laughs> this looks similar to Comic Sans. Really, it, I mean, it's not an unpleasant font at all. Uh, I could see my wife using this as her font because it's cute. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so um, okay, so you got the magnifier, you've got Orca, you've got the dyslexic fonts. What yeah. else have you got? We also have two on-screen keyboards. One of them is a, a very basic, just general on-screen keyboard, like you'd see, you know, on, a, on an iPhone, iPad, Android, you know, phone, whatever. Um, basically, that lets you, if person only has you know use of one hand or uh, even you know a little bit of use of one hand, instead of using a keyboard, they can then use a trackball or a mouse. And, you know, click on the letters with the on-screen keyboard. But the other on-screen keyboard is much more sophisticated. So you could have um, paragraphs or other things like pre-populated. So you could type it once. So say if you're always putting in your name, address, phone number, you know, things like that. You could type it once and then save it to a button. And so every time you push that one button, it'll then pre-populate the entire thing that you wrote once. So that, that way it cuts down on you having to, you know, do the same thing over and over again. I don't have any micro motor skill problems, and I want that. No, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I use LastPass um, to do that. Yeah, so. Exactly. Form filler. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, then we also have a um, it's eye slash head tracking software. So a quadriplegic with this software and the combination of the on-screen keyboard. Uh, what happens is when a quadriplegic will move their eye or even their head when a webcam's plugged in. Uh, it'll track the movement and actually move the cursor on the screen. So then what happens is when you move the cursor on the screen, you can program the software to say, okay, when the cursor stops and there's like three seconds or two seconds or, you know, you can put in the time you want. When it stops for this long, that means I want you to click on whatever I, I stop the cursor on. So 
a, a wow. quadriplegic could, could totally control their computer and type out, you know, documents. They could click on Firefox and surf the web. So, granted, it may take a little more time, but it could be done. Now, do you have people with each of these disabilities in your community helping you develop these things? Unfortunately, I don't have too many, like, not people that I have, like, testing it out, like, you know, I, myself, or, like, uh, you know, friends or whatever. I'll just, I'll install a software, and be like, hey, you know, move, let's move your head around and just make sure it's working and stuff. But I don't, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, however you'd want to look at it, I don't have any real test, you know, case scenarios where I have actual people using it yet. But I'm, okay. that's with working with these organizations this is going to come into play, where I'll be able to sit down with some quadriplegics and really, you know, sit down with them and be like, how can we make this better? Because, you know, if I do it or if you do it, it's, I mean, yeah, we're testing it out, but we're cheating because if it doesn't work, we'll just grab the keyboard and do what we want to do. When someone can't cheat, that's where we're going to find out where the real bugs are and how we can make things better. I love the passion in your voice. You, you're you talking faster and more energetically, obviously. Yeah, this I is, always do that. I yeah, try to, this is I your try thing. to slow myself down. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's it's infectious. Um, there, obviously, th- this isn't something I've had any reason to be uh, passionate about and it's it's a sad reality that those of us who don't have a disability often don't care about the the software for the disability disabled um and you know it's 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 a sad thing to say, but it's also human nature. You know, what, companies are the same thing. We were talking before we started recording. Yeah, uh, that uh, you know, companies there's no in, financial incentive incentive to alter your code for one percent of the of your audience. Right. There's just you're not going to see. There's no return on investment for that. Right. Um. And you know, I wish we were all more altruistic than that, but we're not. Um. You know, I have a, a couple of times I've had uh, uh, blind people email me and say this function of your site doesn't work with my screen reader. Could you do X? Yeah. And and I didn't know. Right. So I fixed yeah. it immediately, but I didn't take the time to go run test my site with a screen reader. And right. so I'm just as guilty as, you know, as everybody else because I didn't need it. It looks fine to me. I'm going to go with it. So, by the way, if you're a listener out there and you've got something you want me to fix, let me know and I'll see what I can do. And if I can't, I'll get Jonathan to do it for me. There you go. <laughs> and, and, you know, b- back to kind of what you said, Mark, a lot of people when I talk to them and I start advocating about accessibility and stuff, you know, they, they kind of have the same reaction or, you know, oh, I, I never, you know, I never thought of a blind person using my software. Right. I, I never considered, you know, people with disabilities using a computer. And you know what? That's fine. Cause I didn't consider these things either until I was on the other side of the fence. Like if you don't like live with it or know someone, you know, close to you that has a disability, I mean, honestly, it doesn't really kind of cross your mind unless someone brings it to your attention. Yeah. I could, I could see that too. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I said, and, that, and that's why I, you know, try to talk about it as much as I can to bring that awareness. And you know, maybe next time when someone's developing developing a website or their software, they might be like, "Oh yeah, I remember this guy talking about accessibility." Maybe I'll I'll make sure my buttons are labeled right, or you know, just little things like that can go a long way. Right. So I don't know if you're set up for it, and I'm I'm springing this on you. Can you play us a sample of your screen reader reading something? Uh, I can't now because I unplugged my system. Like okay. I unplugged everything the way I had it. Remember when I talked to you before yeah, we recorded? That's, that's so fine. yeah, unfortunately I can't right now. So before the show, he we were talking and he had his it was all plugged in, and this speak and spell voice started reading at three hundred words per minute, which is faster <laughs> than I can think. Um, and it, it, well, the reason I wanted to to do that is to show you that a it's really cool that you can do that, and b clearly there's work that needs to be done. 
yeah, because yeah, that no, voice absolutely. is terrible. And and we all know that voice is terrible, but somebody's got to fix it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're working on um. There's there's a um a voice synthesis project called uh, Mary TTS, but I think it's also known as Open Mary TTS, and it runs on Java. Um, these voices are much more real sounding. They're actually real people. Um, we're working on a new speech engine to be able to tie into Mary TTS to work with Orca. So we are working on that. Um, this way. Uh, using Mary TTS is a lot easier to create voices. Like, once you have the Mary TTS sort of software set up and you want to create a new voice, uh, the best way to do it would actually to go to like Gutenberg or something and start reading, you know, uh, 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 one of the books off of Gutenberg because what you're going to need to do is record like four hours of audio. And this can be a little tedious, this part, because you don't want to record any ums or ahs or, right. you know, coughing or you want to try and get some pristine audio. So that that's the first thing. So you want to record like four hours. But the reason why you want to use Gutenberg is because along with recording the audio, you then need to take each sentence that you say and put it on a, a text on a, in a text file, one sentence per line. So you could then just cut and paste the Gutenberg book into a text file, break up the sentences, and then what you do is you take that text file, take your audio, and you run it through the Mary TTS software, and it compiles a completely new voice library with the voice that was reading the book, and voila, you have a new voice for Orca. Dang. Cool. Wow. So, just out of curiosity, um, and I, from things that I remember dealing with when I was back in the school district, um, how does your guys' software compete with something like uh, Kurzweil? It's just as comparable. It's just as comparable? Because oh, yeah. I know in my at my school district, there's a lot of people that went to the Kurzweil program for a lot of their site-challenged people. And I was just curious, you know, you say it's comparable, but I mean, this could put them out of business, couldn't it? it once Absolute, you guys get absolutely. a better voice. Absolutely. And that's why I'm trying to, that's why I'm glad Kyle took over the lead development because now I can start speaking with organizations. And, uh, there's a woman that I'm speaking with in Boston who she has had a lot of, um, experience working with like school systems and the dis- disability portion of school systems. She's a, a Harvard law professor. And so I'm trying to, I'm starting to work with her now and trying to find a way to get into schools because she's had a few students over the years that have had disabilities and she's seen like how they've been treated and sort of, you know, shuffled through the school. And like, you know, uh, if they didn't have money, then the student would suffer, you know, to get the, the, the assistive technology they needed. So I told her all about sonar and what we can do and what the future could hold. And she is going to try to do everything she can to start getting, trying to get me into school systems because there are plenty of kids that don't have technology that need it, but there's no, no money in the budget. And so with sonar, like uh, there'd be no reason to tell any kid again, you know, we can't help you. As long as we can find a computer to put sonar on, you'll have the, the technology you need. That's awesome. And honestly, I hope you do put those guys out of business. They're a pain in the butt to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> well, well it's, it's that whole industry is it's really sad too because I mean, really, they they charge a, a exorbitant amount of money for their software. And they're, they're honestly taking advantage of people and situation, you know, people that are in situations they never asked to be in. 
You know, they're, they're charging thousands and thousands of dollars for this software, knowing the individual can't pay it and, and no, nor ever could pay for it. Right. And they know that the school or the government or some other entity is going to pay for it. And so they charge thousands of dollars. And like I said, they just take advantage of people in the situations they're in, really. Cause well, to to be mean, fair, that is sort of the American way. Uh, healthcare does that. <laughs> business. My boss takes advantage of me because I'm a situation I don't want to be in. You know, I don't want to be in that cube. But I'm there, so, so he makes yeah, me no. work. Um, you know, I, I don't. I want to cut them a little slack there. They are they're filling a market need, and if they, they didn't do it, there would be nothing. So right. let's let's not criticize them too much while we're working to put them out of business. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You know, the, the technology technology changes and things replace people. I I have this conversation all the time when people talk about technology eliminating jobs or whatever does anybody miss the gas lamp lighter does anybody miss the uh the blacksmith mm. you know we we don't Tech, technology has moved on yes those jobs are gone but those people found other jobs right you know and and if technology someday puts me out of a job then i'll go find something else to do you know that's that's just that's the way it goes uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get on that rant there. This is about sonar. Just, <laughs> no uh, problem. I have a I have a rant button, and you pushed it. Um, <laughs> so, Chris, from a sighted user's perspective, you talked about the install. You talked about the desktop. You said it was really nice, even though you didn't want to like it. You did. Um, we we know Arch is stable. Um, as you know, as as much as we like to raz Arch about being difficult, these guys, the the Manjaro project, have taken the difficult and made it simple. We love it when people do that. So you've got a oh, stable yeah. rolling release. There are no updates anymore because Arch doesn't do that. They just, when something's new, it comes out. Like you said, seven days after it's declared stable, it's there. Um, what, uh, Chris, were there any negatives? Any? I mean, and be picky. You're, you're always picky about everything else. Let's not treat this differently. Sure. Um, I guess the very first thing that I ran into a, a hiccup with is because I'm not familiar enough with Arch to know... Um, the arch specific command lines. And that was something that I really had a hard time with, but something I wouldn't notice at all. <laughs> exactly. You know, but no, it's, you know, it's it, your personal preference. Um, I did notice that there was a couple of software pieces that weren't installed by default. And that's probably more because of their licensing hiccups than anything else. Uh, but I, you know, out of the, the software that I use day to day, it's all there. I was really surprised to see like handbrake was built in. I didn't have to go looking for handbrake. Uh, VLC was built in. Just, it was installed automatically. I didn't have to install it. Um, the, I didn't try to do any gaming on it to see if Steam would work, but I'm sure with a little f- figgling with it, with the installer, I'm sure Steam would be fine. Um, I really didn't notice a lot. Like I said during my initial walkthrough, this is a really well done release. Um, and, and my hat's off to the Manjaro guys for giving you, giving you such an, an awesome base to put your software on. To, yeah. You know, to absolutely. build your, your project uh, uh, probably, on. Probably, probably 75% of, uh, of what you saw is more or less Manjaro, I would imagine. Um, but you are right about the, uh, like the command line, uh, stuff for Pac-Man. It's not intuitive at all. Like, it, to install something, you have to type Pac-Man space dash capital S. And then the name of the package you want to install, like you wouldn't know that unless you read the Arch Wiki. <laughs> so right, right. And so for someone who's very not Manjaro slash Arch familiar, um, it, it did take a little bit for me to get used to it. But I will say I'm impressed. Um, I'm impressed enough that I'm going to go put uh, Manjaro on a machine 
for a bit, just a baseline. So I have an idea of yeah. where your stuff is different from their stuff. Yeah. Um, because I was, I'm very surprised with how well this system just out of the box performed. Yeah, um, I think, so, I think, un- I think unfortunately for you though, I don't think they have a KDE spin. I know they have XFCE, open box, gnome. They do. And I went oh, and looked. They, oh, they do okay, have okay. one. I wasn't sure if they had one or not. <laughs> yeah, they have, they do. They have, uh, it's, uh, they have XFCE, open box, KDE. Um, but I noticed they don't have my, my new favorite love, which is Razor QT, which is what they just merged with, um, Alex. Yeah. They, they, that isn't there yet, but they do have a repository to add it in second-handedly. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to I want to jump in here. Um, what obviously Sonar is free. Uh, it's built on open source. There's no cost to it. Is right. there a support option? Uh, well, I guess if you do want to support Sonar, if you visited the Accessible Computing Foundation uh, and you you know you can make a one-time donation. Or you become a member at two dollars a month or ten dollars a month. Uh, all that, all of that helps out uh, Sonar being made. And uh, there's various other things that we're working on right now. Another thing. Uh, no, wait, ne- you misunderstood the question. I need help. Where do <laughs> I go? Oh, 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 okay. So if you go to Sonar GNU Linux, we have a mailing list. We have an IRC room. Uh, you can email us. So we we try to be as accessible as possible. We also have a Mumble room, and we give instructions on how to um, set up Mumble. Mumble is in, installed by default. So we mm-hmm. tell you where how to go into Mumble and put in the settings you need to put in to join the Mumble room, and we can talk to you in there and help you out with any issues you might have. So we try to make ourselves available every which way possible. Do you have any data on how many users you have? Uh, we've been it's been downloaded uh, in thirty con- thirty different countries. I don't know how many users there are, but it's in thirty different countries. The majority of them are uh, a lot in Europe, uh, Africa. There's been quite a few uh, in Asia. So we're definitely getting all over the place, South America. So I think every continent except for uh, Antarctica. <laughs> and so what kind of feedback have you had? Uh, so far with the new release, like I said, it's been only been out for a few weeks, but everyone that has installed it so far is is loving it. They love uh, the speed of it. Um, they love that it's based on ArchNum because, like I said, uh, a lot of the people that are th- with disabilities that have been using Linux for a while uh, ha- have been crying out for a way, an easier way to use Arch Linux. Like I said, there there is a way to use uh, Arch Linux building it from the ground up, but not everyone wants to do that. And Sonar finally has bridged that gap for uh, you know everyone to be able to get uh, Arch up and running very quickly. Great. Uh, Chris, was there anything else you wanted to say before I end this section? Yeah. Um, no, the only really thing that I've, that I would really, I wish there's a way for us to reach out to get more people to, you know, help your community out. Um, I'm really impressed with a lot of the stuff that I saw just in your, you know, your section of the project and Manjaro section. Um, is there, have you got any traction from Manjaro to maybe bring a couple of developers from their team to help you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they've helped out a ton. Like I said, with the installer, they worked on a ton of, uh, of the installer to make sure that was accessible. Uh, Phil had, had customized the build system specifically for us to do certain things that we wanted to do. Um, with the build system that Phil has put together, uh, you can't pull packages in from AUR, which is the Arch user repository. And there's, there was quite a few packages in there that I needed. So I emailed Phil saying, Hey, I need, you know, these five packages in the community repo. And within 15 minutes, he emails back and he's like, done. 
So th- wow. they help out as much as they can. Um, you know, they, they even gave us our, our own spot on their forums. Uh, they've announced how Sonar, you know, is part of the Manjaro team. So they, they've really embraced Sonar and do whatever they can to help us out, which is really, really awesome. And I, I, I mean, I didn't expect them to go the lengths that they've gone. And it's, it's really great. The, the, the relationship that we have. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And, uh, just because I don't have any other way to really contribute to your project, um, I have both my torrent programs running, seeding your stuff because oh, that's nice. the best I could do at the moment. So perfect. We'll, we'll see what we can do for other things later. Absolutely, yeah, that's greatly appreciated. Yes, I, I, I find myself in sort of a hypocritical position here. I, I want Sonar to do well. I hope I never have to use it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jonathan, was there any anything you left unsaid? Anything, any question we didn't ask or any point we didn't hit? Uh, no, just two, well, two quick things I, I was going to say. In, in a week or two, we're actually releasing an accessible version of the uh, Sonar version for the Raspberry Pi, also built off of Arch Linux. Oh, and cool. so, so what we're going to do there is what we, we're taking an Arch Linux install, building it up, and then once we get it exactly the way we want it, we then DD the image off the SD card, and then we make that available for download. And then a blind user or you know any other user with a t- some type of disability would then get the image on SD card, pop it in the Raspberry Pi, and then boom, it's going to boot up into a talking desktop. And we're using the the Mate desktop for that. Cool. No no installation necessary, other than no. just copying it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you just copy it over, put the SD card in, to, you know, plug in the Pi, and then boom, it just is going to boot right into a talking desktop. Yeah, I use the uh, Noobs installers for my Pies, and it's the same way. You, you get to what you want, and you just throw it on there. They do all the hard work. I like yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, so. And then the one last thing too is if you visit sonar.gnu/linux.com, you'll see it says computers for Sonar. I, I stole this idea from someone that was doing something like this a few years ago. So basically what the idea is, if you have a computer that's sitting around, you know, it's a little bit older or whatever, and you don't want to throw it away, and you maybe have to pay money to get rid of it properly, and so it's just sitting in your closet or whatever, um, email us, there's an email address to email us, and let us know, hey, I have this PC, here are some of the specs, you know, here's my email address, and we're going to put you in the database. And then when blind users or any other type of user with a type of disability emails in saying, oh, I see that you're, you know, offering a way to get computers... I'll basically just, I'm just kind of the middleman hooking up the two people. And, uh, you know, then the person who needs a computer will contact the person who has one. And, uh, I just ask that the person who's sending the computer to already install sonar, just in case the user getting it has never done it before or never used Linux. And, uh, I just ask also that they, you know, they just charge the person whatever shipping might be. And then that way they can get rid of a computer and someone can get a computer that might not have one with sonar already installed on it. Cool. Very and the monitor project. doesn't even have to work, does it? it that's right. Yeah, so if they're blind, it doesn't. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you think you would be able to like put on here what the specs should be of that? Because you know, I'd hate for somebody to have, you know, hey, I've got five computers, and then come to find out those computers, you know, really aren't aren't enough to run it well. Yeah, I mean, they would have to be really old. I mean, you know. E- even a Pentium 4 would run the Mate version of Sonar. I, I wouldn't say perfectly, but it would be usable. Um, yeah. And especially if someone's never had a computer, like I said, it, it would be usable. So, you know, Pentium 2s, Pentium 3s, no. But, I mean, you know, a Core Duo, a Solo Duo, whatever they call the Core 2 Duos, 
you know, any sort of 64-bit dual-core AMD, all of that is going to run just fine. So... So that, I mean, I stumbled into a good point there. Any, uh, this is a geek audience. Surely there are a number of cracked laptop screens out there that people aren't oh, able yeah. to use. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for a sightless user, that doesn't matter at all. Oh, yeah. You know? I, I told a story the other day when I was fixing computers still, I had a customer that had a busted screen. And I was like, well, we could replace it. And he's like, nah, you know what? This one's a little old. Let's just get a new, a whole new laptop. I was like, all right, well, what do you want to do with this? And he's like, keep it, do whatever you want, use it for parts. And I was like, Hmm, screen doesn't work, but the computer still works. I ripped the screen off and used that thing for like two years and no screen. And yep. everyone said it was the coolest thing. Like, <laughs> so just you just a had a big gap there in this case? No, I, I ripped the entire screen off, so even the casing. So, like, it was just the keyboard to the laptop. That's it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so that's a good way to 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 reuse that that old equipment there if you've got Absolutely. a cracked screen i mean um obviously it's not going to help a dyslexic person or a low sight person but if you've got somebody with with absolutely no sight they won't care and it's you know it's a good way to get rid of something for somebody who can use it i i don't have any now but when when i was in school that was the biggest problem yeah, we had totally. a bunch of them you know kids would would smash the laptops they didn't they they weren't worth it i'm going to call up my old school and say hey send these to jonathan yeah or, yeah like i said we yeah. could totally just I, I, I took, like I said, I took the whole screen casing, everything off, so it was just the keyboard. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I know I, a lot of the people who listen to this show have shops of their own. If you run into that, just keep uh, the, uh, what was the website again? It's, it's sonargnulinux.com, yeah, and keep- you'll see across the top it says computers for sonar. And there just click go. click on that, and you'll see the instructions right there. Perfect. It's the second tab. Yeah, yep, yep, there you go. Now, where is the donate button? I'm looking oh, for it. It's, actively. it's not. It's not on the sonar page. You have to go to accessiblecomputingfoundation.org, which is the my nonprofit that I run. That's what uh, funds uh, sponsors the work of sonar being done, and along with like the Raspberry Pi stuff that we're doing too. And then, okay, would, I'm at the uh, Accessible Computing Foundation. Where is the donate button? Uh, you'll have to. It should. It should be across like the top right hand side. I think. Um, I have. Big, I have home, contact us, news, resources, and social network. Hmm. Are you at, is it theacf.co or is it Accessible Computing Foundation? Theacf.co. Uh, okay. That's why I don't have the buttons on that page. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually taking down that page soon because I, I have recently discovered that Google does not index.co domains. So. Oh. Well, so, your sonar, uh, GNU Linux links to that page. So you'll want yes, to update yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's accessiblecomputingfoundation.com? Dot org. .org. Dot org. But I just threw it in the chat room if you yeah, want to Yeah, or you can go to theacf.tk. That'll also bring you right to the .org website, theacf.tk. Ah, there we are. Donate. Yeah, so you can make a one-time donation or you can become a member of the ACF for $2 a month, $10, $20 a month, whatever. However you'd want to, uh, you know, be a part of this and, and continue to make things like this happen, so... I just have to point That's out awesome. this is the first time that New England has come out when you said dollars. Two dollars a month. Two dollars. Yeah. <laughs> You've been hiding it well. Up until just then. Massachusetts is uh, getting to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so I wanna put a put a pin in that in that section of the show. Uh we I mean, obviously, Jonathan, we love having you on because you have a great mic and you sound good, and that doesn't always happen. But, (laughs) you know, this is a good project that, uh, you know, like I said, I hope I never need it, but I I want it there if I ever do. I hear you. Um, 
And uh, so, awesome. Sonar, GNU slide. I would say let us know when the new version comes out, but that will never happen now that you're using Well, uh, we, we will release, uh, <laughs> like, newer ISO images every time, right. like, a new GNOME version comes out. So, you know, we probably will at least do... Nope. Maybe four releases a year that, you know, so we'll do one when a new gnome comes out and then halfway through that we'll do another one just so if someone, you know, installs a new, if they, it's the first time installing sonar, they don't have to do, you know, eight gigs of updates. Yeah. Uh, the element 816 in our chat room wants to know if the Indiegogo campaign campaign is still on. No, no, that's, that's been over since February at some point in February that ended. So. Are you going to rerun it later down the road in order to, you know, maybe spin up some more funding? I don't know. I might. I'm 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 speaking with a few companies um that hopefully might be interested in in giving some significant donations to Sonar or to to really you know get it off the ground. So I'm hoping uh, something comes of that, but we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, companies like to say things, but following through is another. So <laughs> of course. All right, so let's move on to our tech news part of the show. And Jonathan's going to hang out with us and apply his wry wit uh, and insouciant comments to uh, the uh, show. Quick, go get your thesaurus. Look up what that means. Um, <laughs> we'll uh, wait this, for you. This uh, this first one is one that uh, Seth is. Uh, uh, it's it's been the, the talk of the the tech news for a while. There, uh, video contains audio, whether you want it to or not. Yeah, this. I just thought it was freaking cool. Um, this is a, a little bit from, there's a Tech News World article, hundreds of different links to different stories, but they all say basically the same thing. Um, here's a little blurb about the research. Objects vibrate when hit by sound, creating a subtle visual signal that is usually invisible to the naked eye. The researchers sought to reconstruct the sounds causing the vibrations through the use of high-speed video cameras, lots of image filters, and an algorithm they developed. Um, they used cameras that could capture 2,000 to 6,000 frames per second. Um, and then other times they used just an ordinary off the shelf digital camera. And there's several links embedded in this where, you know, it'll play the YouTube video of like, you know, inside the room, what it sound like. And then, um, what the recovered sound, you know, and it wasn't perfect, but you could definitely hear what was being said so it was kind of cool and man talk about that that tinfoil hat just kind of goes down a little bit more over your head because there's no privacy now so the reason i thought this was interesting is this is sonar using cameras it's recording the vibrations of sound waves but not picking it up with a microphone picking it up with a camera instead Hmm. Yeah, I've heard, I I I came across a study like oh man, a long time ago now, maybe like ten years ago, where scientists were breaking down um cells to like their smallest, the smallest amount they could, and they discovered that breaking a cell down as far as they could, it was almost like a sound wave, like the the cell in its smallest form was a sound wave. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Huh. That is interesting. Hmm. You know what else is interesting? Malicious hackers, as if they're no, they are good hackers. Uh, trolling Linux, the Linux kernel with with malicious patches. Uh, yes, there is this guy who has been sending just flooding, attempting to flood the Linux kernel with busted patches that um, don't seem to work right, and he goes by Nick Kraus, and his 
the goals aren't clear. Some people think, you know, he's a black hat, but not very good. Um, other people think, you know, maybe he's doing a thesis for like a doctoral thing about it, but he's basically just flooding the, the Linux kernel folks with, um, with patches that aren't any good and they're they're responding with feedback you know that says but he is apparently ignoring it and there is no effort and there's no proof that he's done any type of development work before you know we've talked especially that article the nine things about open source and security comes up here quite often you know and i just thought this would be a good springboard to talk about Linux security, you know, here's somebody, anybody can submit a patch. I could submit a patch to the Linux kernel. Um, that patch would be worthless because I wouldn't even know what to do, but I could submit it. And then there's people there who maintain it and look at the patch and see if it's valid and see if it's good. And so this was just an interesting news story about somebody just trying to flood and then, you know, there's some speculation on what is he trying to do? Is he trying to put in a backdoor in the Linux or is he merely trying to document the process? So there's a great quote from the article. It says, uh, uh, Nick has decided he wants to be a kernel developer, d- developer, a laudable goal. He, however, has decided not to take any advice given to me by a number of other or by a number of other kernel developers on how to work on the kernel. So instead, he sends random broken patches to random subsystems in the hope of one will slip past a sleepy maintainer and end up in the kernel. Um, so this sounds like one dude who's not quite all there, but it is an interesting revelation of a potential problem, right? So you, yep. uh, if somebody created a, uh, a, a distributed botnet system to generate patches and submit them, they could overwhelm the the patch maintaining system fairly simply now that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get any bad code in there but that means that there won't be any good code getting in there either right right so it's it's interesting i don't think it's anything to be worried about yet you can put the tinfoil away for now but it you know you can't you can't unring the bell this guy has done this for whatever reason and now the story is out there, and now people are going to do it. Yeah, and that's just sad that it's going to happen now. Yeah. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a thing that because this uh, uh, point of problem um, has been pointed at now, now we'll see something maybe to do some sanity checks to any patch code before it is looked at human eyes. Yeah. You know, a sanity check or something um, that maybe will prevent your malicious type person or scripting bots from doing this. Yeah, I'm sure Linus would figure out a way to thwart this type of thing. I mean, Linus Torvalds is like, you know, we talked about that movie, like using, you know, more than 10% of your brain and, you know, fully using all of it. I think when you use more than 10% of your brain, you get someone like Linus Torvalds. This guy is like so smart. He's like, you know, scary, borderline insane or whatever. I mean... When he he was writing Linux kernel, and he one day he was like, you know what, all version control systems suck. I need to write my own. And in two weeks he comes up with Git. Like yeah. that's that's just insane. You know, like that's what this guy does. You know, on on his off time. And so I'm sure he'll he'll find a way to thwart this type of thing. I, I worked with this uh, this kid when I was in school, this student, and uh, his name was Ari. And if you're listening, Ari, hey. 
Um, and I used to refer to him frequently as he's not just smart. He's scary smart. He's yep. the kind of smart you don't want to turn your back on. The kind of smart you're glad is on your side. For real. Um, and you know, the, you know, I've worked with a lot of smart people. I am a smart people, or at least I like to think I am. This kid at 15 years old was, was running circles around me in, in every category. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of those rare guys, you know, there's, there's maybe a hundred of them across an entire generation of people. Um, and you know, sometimes they use their powers for good and sometimes they don't. Uh, and I think some people would say the jury's still out on Littus, you know, has he, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which way is he going to turn? He could still be turned to the dark side. Uh, but you know, we're all, we're all here on this window show because of him. So <laughs> right. it's great. <laughs> Uh, I've never met the guy, but you know, just you can read his exploits and know that he's freaking amazing. Yeah, maybe I'll try to line up an interview for him at Linux Con. <laughs> I'm there sure no go. one else has thought to do that. Yeah, his <laughs> schedule should be completely empty. I don't think should be. be a problem. Well, you know, um, I'm the, I'm the talent of the show, so he'll uh, he'll bend over. <laughs> <laughs> You're the good personality. Yeah, something like that. Just just make sure you show up at the right time, Seth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, maybe you should double check when LinuxCon is again. Uh, so yeah, that was a good one. Uh, moving right along, Android is crushing it. Eighty-five percent of smartphones shipped in Q2 were Android. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, three hundred million smartphones shipped. So it's not like it was an off quarter and nobody bought a smartphone. You know, three hundred million smartphones shipped. 85% of them were Android. That is redonkulous. When, so, when, yeah. do, when, when do people start calling out Android as a monopoly or whatever? I mean, that's got to be getting close. Well, What's yeah. interesting is Android isn't a company. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, true. You're right. There's Google. There's Amazon. There's you know all the no-name Huawei tablets and all that sort of stuff. So Android is a monolith. But there isn't a single company behind it. There's there's AOKP and AOSP yeah, and uh yeah. And well, so, Samsung ships like eighty four percent, and you know <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Well, that's because they come out with a different SKU every day, right? You know, here's the Galaxy S three point oh one, Galaxy sure. S three point oh two, um, but you know, Android ha- or Samsung is going with the the spaghetti method. Throw it against the wall, see what sticks. Right. Uh, and frankly, I like that. If you've got the resources and they can crank out a phone for eight cents, you know, why not? Um, and it's working for them. And it's looking like a lot of the spaghetti is sticking to the wall. So yeah, yeah, they 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 really haven't come up with two, you know maybe one or two phones that have kind of flopped, but it almost seems like a lot of them are you know uh, received pretty well. Well, no, so, it's more like they've came out with a thousand phones and 10 of them have been awesome. So, yeah. uh, you know, they probably have more misses than hits, but you know, when you're shooting that often, you're, you're going to hit something eventually. So according to these numbers, 84.6% Android in Q2 2014, 12, 11.9% uh, iOS, 2.7% Microsoft. 0.6% BlackBerry, which is actually higher than I would have expected. I would have expected uh, BlackBerry wouldn't have sold any phones in, in Q2 2014, and others right. being Tizen uh, are 0.2%. <laughs> this is worldwide, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, and you know, and, and here's the thing. Apple went from Q2 of 2013 from 31.2 million up to 35.2 million, but their market share fell. 
from 13.4 to 11.9. So, you know, they ship more, but their market share shrank. So that's just how, I mean, you know, Android is, is they're rolling. Um, and you know, becoming the, a juggernaut. The the point that that we sort of stumbled into there is that a lot of people think Android is Google, but that's not true. Google Google comes out with the first release, and then they open it in the Android Open Source Project, and then it becomes its own thing. And if Google goes away, if they decide to stop doing it, I don't know why they would. Maybe they get sued out of it. It's still out there. And other people can still develop it. And you don't have to wait. I mean, you could look at what CyanogenMod is doing. Yeah, they're going yeah. in their own direction. They're, they're, they're racing with Google now instead of running behind Google. Yeah, even, and, even Amazon. Yeah, Amazon's doing the same thing. Uh, and other companies are going to do this. The, the, you know, the, the genie is out of the bottle. When, when, the, when this consortium met in, I think, 2005 it was, and said, let's create an open handset, you know, everybody kind of laughed at them. And when the G1 came out, everybody did laugh at them. Uh, but then it got way better. And now, you know, it, it is the smartphone market. It, it depends on the mar- uh, marketing you listen to. I mean, uh, the people I know, um, they don't say Android. I, I say, do you have an Android phone? They don't know what that means. Do you have a Samsung phone? Oh, yeah, I've got a Samsung phone. Uh, yep. Or do you, you have a, an HTC phone? Oh, yeah, I've got that. Do you have an iPhone? No. Do you have a smartphone? Yes. Then you have Android. Uh, it's a simple float sheet. Um, <laughs> right. Well, and you know, all this talk about Samsung, their numbers actually shrank from a year ago. They went from 76 to 74.5 million. So all the other in the top five, their numbers actually increased. Uh, all right. And the last one I want to do, just because it's, it's near and dear to my heart, um, is Duke Nukem just won't die of course not because he's duke right right. well um this was kind of an interesting story and this is from the verge um library of congress as someone who works there says they have found the source code for a never released duke nukem game and this has to do with um you know copyrights so they they like send it to the library of congress so they can say you know yes it's here and prove it but um Duke Nukem, their latest handheld game, Critical Mass, which was apparently... Um, 2011. Well, no, but it was apparently quite garbage. It was, it well, was on bad. Well, on the Nintendo Pants. franchise, yeah. it was bad. The PSP version was supposed to be amazing. Of it course, will. it was supposed to be. The next version is always supposed to be amazing. <laughs> right. Um, but the PSP version never came out. Right. But then, uh, but apparently, you know, it was just... It it came out. It was just never released. So, um, I, I'm sorry. I just went totally blank here, and my stupid um, shockwave player has crashed. <laughs> um, so I yeah. was a Duke Nukem guy all the way back on my 386 SX. You know, nice. back in the day. Um, and it's a it was a 2D side scrolling uh, uh, first person shooter. Uh, well, it couldn't be fi- first person, huh? Uh, side scrolling shooter. Uh, and then the Duke Nukem Forever was, you know, 12 or 13 years in development. And it was supposed to be the, you know, the Halo version of Duke Nukem. And it came out and it was bad. Uh, and then so it's like, well, let's move to the, to the, 
the handheld market. So the Nintendo DS had the critical uh, Duke Nukem Critical Mass, and it was, yeah, you know, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't awesome. Uh, and then they were going to do a PSP version, which has more guts than the Nintendo DS, has more power. It was a better graphics engine. It was supposed to be better, but they just sort of ran out of steam and said, eh, maybe Duke Nukem won't live forever. Right. Well, and the thing, even though it was kind of the same uh, title, it was it had like kind of different content. So, right. um, you know, if you think back to Ghost Recon the for the PS for the PlayStation 2 was different than Ghost Recon for the Xbox 360, but they were the same title. So right. this was the same kind of thing. It's the same game, but it's different. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, other software that has been lost through the ages might be in the bowels of the Library of Congress somewhere. So to Washington, everyone. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to talk about the bowels of Congress, but uh, <laughs> but the library. Of Congress. Scary. Yeah. So, yeah, the, in, uh, this uh, I'm not even going to go there. I was going to talk about uh, copyright law in the U.S., which is interesting because the moment you create it, you have a copyright. But to be able to defend that copyright, there has to be a canonical representation of that somewhere, and the Library of Congress has become the place. So they just sent them a CD. Mm, and yeah, said, yeah. We created this. Here's proof that we created it. You received it on this date. Um, and so it's there and the Library of Congress owns it because you kind of have to, I don't know, not really surrender your rights, but give them the rights to it when you do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. With local musicians, we call that the poor man copyright. You, you, yes. You take a copy of your, you know, cassette tape with your demo on it and you, you mail, mail it, it to, to the yourself. Library of Congress. Yeah. Yeah, back in the in the nineties or whatever it was, it was mail it to yourself because you got that postmark. Right, yeah, uh, that yep. too. That doesn't uh, found out that doesn't hold up in court at all anymore. But uh, okay, so that's it. Uh, we only had time for a few news stories. We decided we were getting super news heavy, um, and this was part of what was making the show go so super long. I, I think we need to break out and do a whole news show at this. We need to just have a whole separate. A new show that may or may not be Linux related, like this show. May or not be <laughs> hey, you guys oh. filled your Linux quota, so the next three or four episodes, no more Linux episodes. Months, we can go sixteen <laughs> episodes and never mention the word Linux, and we're covered. We're good here. <laughs> so let's move on to the the pirated uh, dev slash random section of the show. Seth, what do you have to bring down our productivity this week? Okay. You know, I just thought this was an awesome site, but you can go to driveatank.com and actually sign up and they have different packages that involved firing machine guns that are really big and make a lot of noise. And you can actually drive a tank over a minivan and destroy it. Um, you know, there are different packages <laughs> available from, you know, some of them are on the cheap, just several hundred dollars. Um, some of them where you're actually driving the tank and smashing over stuff can be up to a few thousand. But driveatank.com. I just think nice. this is awesome. And I really, really, really want to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen the uh, the ads of Arnold Schwarzenegger driving a tank over stuff? I don't yeah, remember what. Yeah, that was uh, that was my link a few months oh, yeah, ago right. now. Yeah. So what? I I always 
it's just so cool. I, I want to, I want the the like the five star commander in chief is the high package. I want the seven star global domination one to be ri- driving a tank with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, Seth, but, uh, Seth, yeah, Jonathan. Seth, what what it was was it was a say, fundraiser to raise money for something, and one of the you had to like buy into like a raffle and. The winner was getting flown out to California and was going to hang hang out with Arnold and drive a tank over stuff. So uh, it's been a couple of months ago now. The single car crush, the double car crush, the mobile home destruction. <laughs> Seth, Seth, when you were sitting in your seat in front of your computer, I need to know the term you searched that pulled this up. Like, what, what, were, you, what were you sitting in your chair thinking? Hmm. You know, I've always wanted to crush a car in a tank. No, actually, um, you know, I have like about 15 or 20 different sites that I scroll through for news. Um, yeah. and I just, you know, I go to that folder and I right click and I open all in tabs. And as I'm going through them, sometimes I chase rabbits with some of the links on the sidebars of the things. And oh, this yeah. was one of them. And I was like, <laughs> uh, dude, this is, this is a Seth's link right here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so for, for $400, that's the cheapest one you actually get to drive something. Um, the three-star lieutenant dri- uh, general. You can dr- uh, ride on a five-ton transport, drive an FV433 uh, Abbott SPG. I don't know what that means. And fire a machine gun. Um, SPG is you- self-propelled gun. So it's okay. like a tank, but the turret doesn't move. Um it's in the Saving Private Ryan, if you remember that movie, the German thing with the big long barrel that was a self-propelled gun. So it's okay. a lot like a tank, but it's not a tank. So they, and then pro- if you- they, they probably wouldn't have a problem if I, you know, paid the four or five hundred bucks to drive a tank then. No, they just keep it straight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then for, to, for add on, so it's four, three ninety nine for that package. For another six hundred dollars, you can crush a car. Nice. For another eight hundred dollars, nice. you can crush two cars. Um, I would love to, t- I want to like, maybe if I go up there with a trailer with two cars on it and say, you can have both of these cars if you let me drive the tank over one of them. You know, and if, you're, if you if you know somebody in your life, uh, uh you know, a, a dad who's retiring or something and you want to give them that big gift, this is not terribly pricey. I mean, this is the, you know, six, $700. I mean, it's a lot, right? But for a once in a lifetime thing, for the right person, this is the thing. And you know, their five star commander in chief package is three thousand dollars. Get to ride on a five ton transport, drive the self propelled gun, drive an APC. Seth, help me out. And an SPG armored personnel carrier. Or APC armored, armored personnel carrier. Uh, drive a Russian uh, tank, crush a car uh, with the tank, fire four machine guns. Fire the Barrett 50 cal and go to their gift shop. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I could, I hope someday my kids pitch in to buy me that $3,000 thing. They'd have to wedge me in with a shoehorn, but I want to, I want to drive a tank over a car. I think this would be awesome. You know, we need to, we need to, uh, I don't know, do a Kickstarter program for the element <laughs> OP staff. To drive it, we'll tank. do a podcast from inside an armored personnel carrier. That right. would be awesome. So, so, Jerry, if you're still listening and you really want to show some love for me, um, just email me <laughs> with the package you purchased for me. 
<laughs> Sorry. Right. And if you, say. like Jerry, would like to make your voice heard, good or bad, as you can see, I don't discriminate. Well, I totally do discriminate. I ripped him apart, but I still let you be on the show. Uh, you can go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page that I'm pretty sure works with the Orca screen reader, um, and uh, it'll let you fill out a form. It'll send me an email, or if you just want to skip it and fire up Mutt uh, and send me an email via the command line, you, you can go. do that, edl at elementop.com, or if you want to be on the show, um, not like Jonathan was, but in a shorter format, you can <laughs> dial 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice line, and we'll play that on the air. We love all of those things. We love hearing from you. And if you have solid cr- uh, criticisms, great. Bring them on. If you just want to be a raving lunatic, even better, because we can make a <laughs> lot of fodder out of that one. So, Definitely. <laughs> uh, that's where you can do that. Also, don't forget the forums. Uh, oh, we, 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 we can't let the show end without talking about Sharknado 2. Seth, did you watch it? Dude, it was it was awesome. It was um it was everything that was good about the first one, but more of it. There was a litany of semi-famous B, C, D, E, and F uh list actors appearing throughout the whole movie. It was awesome. Yeah, I I watched it on the the rebroadcast. I didn't get to see the original broadcast. I watched the rebroadcast like the next day or two days later. Um, and I gotta say, I didn't like it as much as the original Sharknado. Maybe because the you know they it was obvious they were trying. In the first one, you could pass it off as this is so bad. I can't believe they didn't realize this. But on the second one, it was obvious they did realize it, uh, and it took some of the fun out of it for me. But it was even more hammy. Um, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, isn't it was the point a great of those bad movies? movie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Judd Hirsch as the taxi driver was just, you know, that was all I needed. Is that the, that's the right name, isn't it? Judd yes. Hirsch? Yeah. Um, it was great. And he got eaten, of course, because you have to. Everybody gets eaten in that show. Did you see um, Wesley Crusher? <laughs> he got ate at the very beginning. I missed that one. I he didn't have it. any words. He was just looking in the plane, and when the shark flew down the aisle and, t- <laughs> and took awesome. it off, um, yeah, and the sharks were meaner in this one. They were they were like guided missiles aiming for people. It was great. Well, because it's New York, and New York's right. meaner than L.A. Yeah, even the Sharknados. <laughs> uh, that was actually one of the lines. Even the shark and, and the thing with Matt Lauer and uh, and the Al weather Roker. guy yeah. Al Roker, where. Al Roker kept referring, or Matt Lauer kept referring to him as weather events, and Al Roker kept saying Sharknado, and it was just, it was funny that it, it was good. And so, the, uh, the girl reporter who basically they looped that scene in twice. It's rainy. <laughs> yeah. It's rainy like point five sharks an hour or something yeah, like that. that was it was awesome. the exact same dialogue two times in a row. Which is what the Weather Channel does. Uh, so yeah, it was fun. I, I didn't feel it was as fun as the first one. Uh, but it was good, and, and you know we got to go see the uh, the big budget release of of Super Cyclone, which is called Into the Storm. I swear it's exactly the same plot as Super Cyclone from the commercials. <laughs> I, I think I think the guys who made Super Cyclone heard about this one and decided to rush out and get one done using plywood props. Um, <laughs> nice. You think they could afford plywood? There was definitely some plywood there. Some would have even had paint on it. Not all of it. 
Uh, all right so if you want to contribute to the bad movie talk you can do that over in the forums at uh, elementop.com and we appreciate all of the feedback from our community you're not just an audience you're a community and we appreciate that and uh, jonathan thanks for being on the show any final words any one last thing if nobody heard anything else the whole hour and a half of this show they just tuned in for this What's the one thing you want them to hear you say? If you know someone that has a disability and needs access to a computer, sonargnulinux.com. There you, you have go. To use, you have to use GNU Linux. Really? Yes. I, I wanted to make your eyes roll in the back of your head. <laughs> it, it hurt me. I felt pain. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> um, Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being with us. Jonathan, thanks for being such a great guest. Hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.